All right. We are in week two of On the Job training, our sermon series on discipleship, what it means to follow Jesus, not only with ideas about him, but with the way that we live. Um, This week, we're going to start with a picture. So if you're sitting in the back, appreciate you taking last week's lesson to heart about making room for others closer to the front, right? Um, I assume that's why you're doing it, giving people the places of honor up front. Um, You may have a more difficult time seeing, um, just if you've done that. But uh, if we can put that first picture up, Evie. I can't see her, I'm just trusting she's back there. Um, So this is a picture of an old-timers baseball game. Uh, Do you guys know what an old-timers baseball game is? A bunch of people that were played a while ago get together for, you know, kind of a reunion type thing. Um, And so if you are far off in the back and you can't see it quite so well, um, there's three people in this picture I want us to try and identify and focus on. The first one is the pitcher. Do you guys see the pitcher off to the right? He's uh, left-handed, kind of short and stocky, um, throwing. All right, so that's the first person we're going to look at this morning. Um, Evie, can you go to the next slide? His name is Brian Dubois. He actually, he was drafted by the Baltimore Orioles out of high school and actually played for a season with the Detroit Tigers in the mid-80s. Right, right? This is his, this baseball card on his right is his rated rookie baseball card. Uh, He was, uh, rated rookie just means that he was kind of on the radar to be a prospect. Like he was up and coming. Um, He only played one season because he dealt with some some injuries to his uh, his elbow. but you can see his, his statistics there from baseball reference. Uh, he had a good ERA that, that one year, a 3.82, not bad as a reliever. Um, played in 18 games, had one major league save, um, pitched in 94 innings, struck out 47. So that's, that's Brian Dubois. He's the one pitching in this old-timers game. All right, so Brian Dubois, former major leaguer, pitching in this old-timer game. Okay, Evie, go to the next slide. Um, can we... Are you able to go back to the picture of the players? Can you go back a few? All right, so the next person we're going to look at is the catcher. See the guy squatted down there? It's hard to see from a distance, but he's in a blue shirt. He's got the catcher's gear on. He's, he's squatted down there behind the batter. All right, now you can go to the one that says Les Norman. There he is. All right, so that guy that's catching in the game is Les Norman. Uh, he was drafted by the Cleveland Indians, played in their minor league system for a while, ended up on the Kansas City Royals, uh, kind of bounced around their minor league uh, system for a little while, got to play some major league games, and then again, some injuries and just kind of aged out. Never quite made, had that big break at the major league level to make it, but he's a, a former major leaguer. Um, when he retired from baseball, he did some broadcasting for the Kansas City Royals, um, had a radio show in Kansas City, and uh, now does like motivational speaking, travels the country speaking to, to corporate groups and, and all that type of stuff about competing and, and living well. Um, he's a Christian now and, uh, and speaks from a, a Christian perspective as he does his motivational speaking. But that's Les Norman. So you've got former Major League pitcher Brian Dubois throwing to, uh, he was an outfielder, um, but for the old-timer game, he was playing catcher. So you got Brian Dubois pitching to Les Norman. 
And then, um, can we, is the next slide, is that the full picture again? All right, let's put that one up there. So those are two out of the three guys I want you to focus on. The third person we're going to focus on this morning is the hitter, okay? So you've got Brian Dubois pitching to the catcher, Les Norman, and then you've got this, this hitter here. Um, and this is a zoom in if you can, it, it gets blurry, but this is, you can see the black and gold jersey there, the, the number 10. It's hard to tell who it is on the screen, so I thought I would help you this morning by bringing my jersey, if this helps, right? There we are. I'm not going to button it up because that's not going to, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so this was my high school old-timers baseball game. Um, from the time I was a little tiny kid, I wanted to play professional baseball. It was my dream. Um, when I was in sixth grade, um, going into my sixth grade year, my family moved to a small town, middle of nowhere, kind of Illinois, um, and the school district there was called Reed Custer. And so at that point in time, I became a Reed Custer hustling comment. Um, the exciting thing about moving to this, this small town and joining the Hustling Comets is despite being a small school, um, this baseball program created uh, professional baseball players. Uh, my coach ended up being in the State Hall of Fame. Um, they won state championships. There's currently a, a Hustling Comet in the minor leagues, uh, I think in AA right now, pitching, um, working his way up. But I got to the school as a sixth grader knowing that I just, I love baseball, I wanted to be good, and that the people from my school that went in the same program that I was in played professional baseball, made it to the majors. And so here I was at this, this old-timers game batting against a former major league pitcher, pitcher with Les Norman, a former major league outfielder, really chatting me up, like really trying to distract me, saying all kinds of things as I was hitting because that's how you, you compete. Um, and so in an old-timers game, you know, we've all not quite at our prime anymore. And uh, so you just bring your best, whatever you got. And uh, the pitcher's best, Brian's best pitch was a curveball. So I, I knew curveballs were coming. Um, and I took a first one for, for a strike. And then my best skill uh, was bunting. So I bunted. Uh, and nobody fielded it because I was really good at bunting. And, and I got to first base, and that, that made Brian upset. And he tried to pick me off all the way around the bases. Every base I got to, he was just trying to pick me off. Um, but that was my experience. I, ne I obviously never played college ball or pro ball or anything like that. But that's a, a, an image um, that kind of is a realization of dreams in, in, in some way. Um, but I wanted to be a hustling comment like those guys, like Brian, like Les, and there were several other uh, that were in the minors. Um, I actually got to practice with Les Norman one time, and you, you, you think you know what good is at something until you see a professional do it, and you're like, okay, this is a whole other level. But I wanted to be like them, so I worked year-round training for baseball. Uh, I would listen to my coach and try to do exactly what he taught me to do. If he said, do this, I was doing it, and I was going to learn how to do it and repeat it um, to the point where my senior year, they said I was a like another coach on the field. And at the time, I took that as a compliment. I think they just meant I was kind of old and moved funny because, anyways, um, not a great ball player, I think is what they meant now. No, I, uh, 
I was uh, nominated by my team as Mr. Hustle my senior year. So like I was really into this. Like I saw that the system produced these types of players and I wanted the best shot at being this. Um, and so 20 some years after I was a hustling Comet, I'm coaching Jonas's Little League games and it's my coach's words that are coming out of my mouth, right? I spent, I spent from sixth grade through senior year in high school in the same program. My, my middle school and high school programs were run by the same coach. And so I learned from a very young age what it meant to be a Comet. And so when I was, became a Little League coach, it was those words, those instructions, that way of playing baseball that came out of my mouth. Um, for those seven years, I was a student of Coach Kogel, and I learned to play baseball the way that Hustlin' Comets played baseball. Um, I really didn't know how to do baseball any other way. And so years of being coached, years of hard work and dedication, years of practicing and participating and learning about Hustlin' Comets turned me into a Hustlin' Comet. And so our series, this on-the-job training, is uh, obviously going to be looking at the teachings of Jesus, not Coach Kogel's teachings. Um, but the idea behind it is the same, that if you spend time listening to and, and being shaped by a coach, by a teacher, if you are committed to being a student, a follower of that person, it will shape you, right? Um, and so with that, we're going to turn into our, our scripture text for this morning, Luke chapter 14, uh, verses 25 through 33. It'll be on the screen, I think. Give it a second. There we are. Um, I'm actually going to lose the jersey. Uh, but Luke 14, 25 through 33, says, Now lar large crowds were traveling with him, and he turned and said to them, Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brother and sisters, yes, and even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to wage war against another king will not sit down first and consider where he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? If he cannot, then while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for the terms of peace. So therefore, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. Uh, pray with me, if you will. Heavenly Father, we are grateful um, for your word this morning. Um, again, grateful that for <clears throat> 2,000 years you have preserved and interpreted and translated and, and provided this rich text, these stories, these lessons, these commands, um, and, and put them right in our hands so that we can share them uh, individually in our homes or on the go or collectively here together as the church that we can study, learn, and read. But more importantly, we are grateful for the word that became flesh and dwelt amongst us, the word that takes these words on the page and interprets them <coughs> into our lives and gives us new life. So we thank you. Uh, may all we say and do glorify you here today. 
Amen. So I know some of you, probably maybe many of you, uh, are familiar with what's called the lectionary. Some of you may not be familiar with the lectionary. Um, does anybody know what the lectionary is? Anybody heard of that? We got a, some hands. Um, the lectionary is a prescribed three-year journey through the scripture texts. So um, each week there are scripture verses prescribed, one from the Old Testament, one from uh, the New Testament usually, one of the writings um, of Paul or one of the others, um, a gospel, so one of the, the texts comes from Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and then usually a psalm um, that we read during our worship time here. And so there's these, these prescribed texts, and it begins, the lectionary begins, the, it functions as the church year. And so it begins with Advent, the build-up to Christmas. <coughs> it goes through, uh, you know, Advent, and you have Epiphany, and, and, you, and it goes through all the seasons of the church, and then you land on the Sunday of Pentecost, and, and then it goes to what's called ordinary time, and a lot of times, um, if you follow the lectionary, sometimes we jump off of that at, at ordinary time, like we did this summer. We didn't follow the lectionary with the Meals of Jesus <coughs> or the Corners of the Field series. We, we, I kind of did my own thing over the summer, but now we're back on it for on-the-job training, our, our fall discipleship series. Um, the lectionary doesn't prescribe sermon series. It doesn't say, hey, preach this. This is the topic or the theme. It just says these are the verses. Um, and so that's kind of the on-the-job training is kind of my attempt to pull a theme together through these stories from Jesus um, and the life of the church. Um, and I bring this up because following the lectionary, being committed to following the lectionary, pushes me and other pastors, other preachers, into uh, dealing with, wrestling with verses that we wouldn't normally go find on our own. Um, if I didn't have this lectionary guiding me, I probably would think of topics I want to preach on and then I'd go find verses that support what I already believed or verses that I felt comfortable with. So following the lectionary forces me to wrestle with texts, Bible verses that I wouldn't ever um, go looking for myself. For example, our verses today that said... Um, hate your families. I, don't, I can't think of a, a sermon topic uh, where I as a preacher would ever say, give me a good verse about hating your mom. Like, it's not something that I would go looking for. Right? But here it is. And these are the words of Jesus. And so because we follow lectionary, we have to wrestle with what Jesus was saying here. Hate mother, hate father, hate brother, hate sister, even hate your own life. What kind of sermon would you need these scriptures for, right? Uh, but when you combine that with some of the other scriptures, the one that Will read um, and the one that you'll hear in a little bit from the worship team, the, the psalm, um, you start to realize that God is actually using this passage of scripture, this, this story from Jesus' life, not uh, to talk about hating people, but more importantly, uh, about God knowing us and most importantly, God shaping us. This is a passage about being discipled by God himself, being shaped. The passage that Will read about potter and clay, this is what this scripture is about, about God being the potter and us being the clay. The idea that God shapes us the same way that that potter shapes the clay. Um, and and we'll, get, we'll get to that, okay? Um, with all that said... 
uh, I think we're ready to confront these hard words of Jesus about hating ourselves and hating our family because we've got to deal with this. We can't ignore it if Jesus said it. Sometimes we can move quickly from uh, in our reading of Bible verses and and things jump out at us and we pay more attention to that and other details kind of get left behind or they seem like like painting the scene, but they're not most really important. But I'll tell you, a lot of those things are actually important. Um, the very first words in our scripture text today is absolutely critical to understand <coughs> what's going on here. So, uh, Evie, if you can put the first, the next slide up there. You got it. Should be the one that says now large crowds. Yeah. I told her I, it was the week with the most amount of slides I think I've ever done in a sermon. There are. So this is what the, the verse started with. Now large crowds were traveling with him. Him being obviously Jesus, right? So there's the setting for this story, the setting for this teaching about hating mother and father is in fact that there was this large crowd traveling with Jesus. If you were able to rewind a few, a few chapters back in Luke 12, you'll see it says a crowd of thousands had gathered, so much so that they were trampling one another. Right, so Jesus is off doing his healings, his miracles, his, his teachings, and it has gathered such a large crowd that they're actually trampling one another. And this large crowd that gathered around him continued to travel with him. So when he went from one place, the crowd followed him, this massive crowd. Jesus is doing his ministry, he's teaching, he's healing people, and this crowd has gathered and followed him. This is the context for our scripture today. And so when Jesus saw the excitement and saw the buzz and all the energy of the crowd, the rally that had gathered around him, he turned to them and he said this. You got the next slide, Evie? He said, don't follow me unless you hate your mother and your father and your wife and your children and even your own life. All right, so we see what's happening here. There's this huge crowd that's just latched onto Jesus and they're following him and he turns and that's when he gives this teaching. He says, don't follow me unless you hate your mother, father, wife, children, even your own life. So in this moment, it appears that Jesus likes being in large crowds as much as I like being in large crowds um, because he's trying to thin the herd out here a little bit. Right? He says, it's great that you're following me, but don't actually follow me unless this hard statement is true for you. But then he doesn't stop there. He says the next thing, which Eve, you got that. He says, you must pick up your cross. Now for us as, as Christians in, in 2022, the cross is a symbol of hope, it's a symbol of, of forgiveness, it's a symbol of, of life. But in Jesus' day, the cross was the Roman means of executing criminals in the most excruciating way possible. It was a sign not only to the criminal, but to everybody else who saw that criminal, like don't mess with the Roman Empire because this is what will happen if you do. And so Jesus says to this crowd, not only do you have to hate your mother, father, brother, sister, even your own self, but you must pick up your cross. It'd be like saying, go pick up your electric chair, go pick up your lethal injection, and then you can come follow me. Um, so this large crowd now has heard these two, two messages, these hard teachings. And then he concludes this teaching by saying that you have to, as a disciple, um, Eve, you got the next slide? And then we, we're done for a little bit. Um, 
As a, to be a disciple, not only do you have to hate your family, not only do you have to pick up uh, lethal injection or you know, death penalty type machinery, uh, your cross, but you have to give up all your possessions in order to be a disciple. This huge crowd has gathered around them and they're excited and Jesus starts thinning out the crowd by saying, these are the hard standards you have to live by to follow me. Now the Bible doesn't tell us how the crowd reacted to this teaching, uh, but I don't think it needs to, does it? <laughs> if, if this crowd had gathered around Jesus because of what he could do for them and then they heard this message, how do you think they would respond? They were following him because he was healing people and teaching amazing things about God's kingdom, God's love, God's forgiveness, mercy to those who were suffering, and while confronting the religious elites and the power of the Roman Empire, like, this was the guy. And so everybody loved the message and loved Jesus, it appeared. They were following him because of what they thought they were going to get from him. <coughs> but Jesus wants the, these people, this crowd, to know what path he's actually leading them on. Jesus wants them to know that the path that he is leading them on will lead uh, to conflict with mothers and fathers and husbands and wives and children who are rooted in beliefs and practices that are contrary to the teachings of Jesus. So he's saying, yeah, it's, there's good things that are coming from here, but if you follow me long enough, you're going to have to choose. It will lead you to conflict with what you even know and believe for your own self you're going to have to come to a point where you choose to believe the teachings of Jesus or the teachings that you get elsewhere in the world. And ultimately, all of that, if you follow this path long enough, if you follow Jesus long enough, you will end up at the cross. It leads to a cross because it will force you to make choices to either go along with the way things are or to choose to follow Jesus as he leads people away from the evil powers of the world. But he's telling them there's going to be choices along the way. The paths don't overlap for long. Following Jesus is going to put you in situations that require you to make difficult and, and different choices than what you're already making. And you need to know what that cost is ahead of time, says Jesus. You don't start building without knowing the cost. You don't go to war without knowing the, the, the terms that the enemy has for you. Know what the cost is before you build the tower, otherwise you won't finish it. Don't run blind into battle against an army that is more powerful than yours, he says. And I appreciate Jesus, the, the planner here, the logistics manager, the, the one that sits back and let's take inventory before we jump into things with both feet. Know what the, the cost is going to be. Know the details so you can make informed choices. And Jesus says, you will have to hate your family and your own life. You will have to give up all your possessions. The crowd was confronted with this choice. They could either continue to follow Jesus knowing the cost, which was the invitation was there. You can follow me. He wasn't telling them to go away. He said, you can continue to follow me, but you have to know the cost. Or go back to your families and your, your lives with the possessions that they have and, and letting Jesus go on without you. So it's, not, it's a really hard teaching the word hate kind of jumps off the page at you, but what Jesus is really trying to say 
is you're going to have to choose at some point. And there's a cost in making this choice. So let's hit this hate your family thing head on. Jesus is not telling the crowd or telling uh, us now to be hateful to people close to us. So if you walk out here, (coughs) don't call your mom and say, pastor says I have to hate you. Like, I'm not going to own that for you. I'm not going to be responsible for family conflicts, right? Um, That's not what Jesus is saying. It's not what I'm saying, okay? When Jesus says hate, he doesn't mean anger. He doesn't mean um, wishing ill will on people. He's not declaring them your enemy, exactly. This is still the same Jesus who said to love our enemies. Um, So there's obviously something more going on here. The first thing Jesus wants us to know this morning is that being a disciple is not a part-time thing. That's what he's getting at here. Being a part of the church is not a hobby. You can't really just hang around church and experience everything Jesus wants for you just by being loosely connected with the church. You can't sprinkle a little bit of of Jesus into your normal routines, add a little bit of Jesus for an hour a week or whatever, and think that that is going to lead you where Jesus is going. You can't say a quick prayer or check a box that says you're a Christian um, and continue to live the same way that we were living before. Right, that's what Jesus is getting at. The, the paths diverge. You have to, to choose which, which way you want to go. You can follow Jesus or you can stick with the way of the world, but you can't do both. And if it feels like this message is about calling out sin or challenging the sin in our own lives, it kind of is, but it's not, that's not really the focal point. Um, I mean, Jesus doesn't want us continuing to live in sin. He doesn't want us trapped by sin. He doesn't want us um, being you know, driven by by sinful temptations or any of that, or to hurt others with sinful living. But Jesus here is talking about more than being free from sin. He's talking about the things that that shape us, the things that form our beliefs, the things that form our actions, the the things that, that even form our very thoughts. Jesus here is talking about living in a kingdom uh, shaped by the world, with its values, its power structures, its systems, right? The kingdom of the world versus a kingdom of God that is entirely different, not a little bit different, not the kingdom of the world with some Jesus sprinkled in, but an entirely different kingdom, this kingdom of God. And uh, we got our next slide, Evie, if you're ready. This kingdom of God isn't the kingdom of this world with a little Jesus sprinkled into it. It's a completely different kingdom. How different is this kingdom? How, how radically departed is it from the, the ways and the kingdoms of this world? Well, it's so different that Jesus says you have to be born again to get into it. You have to start from the beginning. It's not something you can just turn a few dials, flip a few switches, and suddenly you're there. It's something you have to be completely born into this other kingdom. You have to be baptized, completely submerged into it. You have to die to the old kingdom and be reborn into the new kingdom. That's how radically different it is. It's a whole new reality. And so being a disciple is not adding Jesus to your life, but rather being a disciple is letting Jesus shape who you are and what you do so much that you've been given a completely new life. Being a disciple of Jesus is not a one-time decision 
You know, that, that one time when I was at church camp and the guy said the thing and I prayed the thing and, and I went to here and they gave me the, the card and, all it. and so I'm a forever disciple. It's not a one-time decision. Being a disciple is about constantly confronting uh, the choice, being confronted by the choice between the two kingdoms. Being a disciple is, is living in such a way that, that we can continue to follow Jesus on the path that he's on or we can follow the path that the world is inviting us to take and we have to continually choose who we're going to follow. And what Jesus is getting at here with the hate your mother and father and family language and all that is the reality is you have to put your ultimate primacy of who you're following at some point. You have to identify who it is that you're going to follow. And in a culture that was so family-driven, the, the way that it was structured, the mother and the father were your teachers. They were the ones that shaped your life. They were the ones that taught you how to live. The values that they have were the values that you had. And what Jesus is saying here is at some point you're going to have to choose, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to choose a path that leads away from what they're even teaching you. Um, it's, a, it's, it's, not, um, it's not that it, you have to have bad will towards them. It's not that you have to hate them in the sense that like, they're awful people and I'm declaring them the enemy. But no, you have to realize that they may be invested in the kingdom of this world. Your spouse, children might be shaped by the kingdom of this world is what Jesus is saying. So if you choose the way of Jesus, the kingdom of God, you will run smack dab into choices that cannot be avoided. If you've ever had a, a friend that you were close with, but then you started taking faith seriously, and that friendship felt that tension because they wanted to do things that you no longer wanted to do, you understand what's going on here. So Jesus asked the question, who is your teacher? Who is shaping your life? Who is teaching you how to live? That's ultimately what this is about. And so what Jesus is saying to this large crowd that seems to want to follow him, he's saying, no, you have to understand that this is not a path that will give you everything that you think you want. This is a path that will cause you to choose either to follow me or to follow them. Are you being formed and discipled by your, your family, your friends, by spouses, by the culture, the society that you live in, or are you being... Uh, formed by your own thoughts, your own desires, your own, uh, you know, the, the way that you've educated yourself, your experiences, your feelings, your preferences, your comfort. And we can extend this out today, like, because it feels like I'm picking on moms and dads a little bit, or spouses, and I'm not. We can expand these voices out today, because there's many voices that want to teach and disciple us today, right? Um, some of the most prevalent, the ones that came to mind, super easy for me today was things like cable news, social media, podcasts, radio, right? There's these voices that are prevalent, they're constant, and they're teaching us values, they're teaching us behaviors, they're teaching us attitudes towards one another. They want us to follow them. And what Jesus says is, that's great, you can follow them, but there's a point where my kingdom does not align with what's being taught here, and you're going to have to choose. To be a disciple is to be serious about letting Jesus be your teacher. Where the things of this world conflict with the things that Jesus teaches, he's saying to follow me, you have to continue to choose my path. 
When Jesus says to his disciples, for example, love your enemies in Matthew 5, mothers and fathers or other people that care about you might be saying, you can't love your enemies, they're going to hurt you. You're going to be vulnerable. You're going to be exposed. They're going to take advantage of you if you love them. The world will say, no, it's not those who love their enemies. It's those who defeat their enemies. And that's fine. That's one way of looking at it. But Jesus is saying, that's not my teaching. And so he's saying to this crowd, at some point, you're going to have to choose if you believe me or not. If you're going to live the way that I'm teaching you to live. To love the enemy is a difficult task. Jesus says love, others say conquer. The kingdom of God says love, the kingdom of this world says win at all costs. And so what Jesus is saying to this crowd and in effect saying to us today is you can follow the ways of the world, that's your choice, but to follow me, you have to let me teach you how to live. To be a disciple of Jesus, you must choose to see Jesus as your ultimate teacher that the words that he said, the actions that he teaches us to live by um, are the authoritative uh, ways that we should, we should learn with the things that we should uh, reject other teachings, accept his teaching as the one true teaching and reject everything else. And that's just one example of how um, being a disciple of Jesus would bring you into a situation that could create some conflict. Um, the Sermon on the Mount is, is scripture where Jesus says several of the following. He says, do not get angry with others. Do not look at others and lust after them, or you should gouge your eye out. Uh, don't get divorced because marriage is important. And he has some exceptions built in there. But um, if someone slaps you in the face, turn your face so you can slap the other cheek. Uh, if someone wants to take your shirt, give them your coat too. This is what Jesus is teaching his, his followers. He says, if you're going to follow me, this is what it looks like. We can choose to accept that as the way of Jesus or we can reject it. That's our option. But if we do accept it, it will set us against some who don't believe that that's the way to live. It's a completely different path. It's a different way of living. So we can choose to let these teachings of Jesus shape our lives. They can shape our thoughts. They can shape our actions. Or we can ignore the teachings of Jesus and follow someone else's lead. But to follow Jesus means to know what he taught and to do it. Being a disciple of Jesus isn't just a single choice, it isn't a one-time choice, but a way of living that forces us to make many choices that shape our lives in distinctively Jesus-like ways. And Jesus says clearly here, if you let me be your teacher, if you follow on the path, if you let me shape your life, it will come with a cost. It will create conflicts. You will have to choose the way of Jesus over and over again. In this particular situation, do I respond from love or do I respond from hate? In this particular situation, am I going to serve others or serve myself? In this one situation, do I give grace or do I judge and condemn? It's an ongoing struggle to let the ways of Jesus teach us in every moment. Jesus was telling the crowd that to be his disciple means to listen to his teaching over and above everyone else. To hear what Jesus is teaching and then to do it. So how do we do that? Right? How do we hear Jesus? How do we know what Jesus is trying to say to us? 
And then how do we let those things shape the way that we live? Well, I can tell you this. It's not going to happen in a one hour a week church service. One hour isn't enough to transform your nature, to birth you from one kingdom into another. There's so many other hours of the week working to disciple you into the ways of the world. One hour isn't enough to move from death to life. So what are we to do? Well, we have an answer for that. Um, you probably started to see on the, on the bulletin, on the screens, on the Facebook page, stuff like that, <clears throat> this love God, love others, and serve the world image wording, that type of thing. And underneath those phrases, underneath those images, is this idea of worship, connect, and serve. Back in last year, we defined a disciple as someone who is participating in worship, someone who is um, connected in Christian fellowship, and someone who is serving others in Christian service. And so when you ask the question, how do I let Jesus be my teacher? How do I continue to walk on the path that he has guided? How do I let him be the potter and, and let myself be clay? Um, the answer that, the best answer I've come up with is worship, connection, and service. So I'm not selling church programs. I'm not trying to, to, to bolster attendance in Sunday school or anything like that. But what I'm, what I'm saying is I'm inviting everyone to incorporate these three disciplines or practices into your daily life. How do you worship throughout the week? What does worship look like on a, as I say it to the, to the ministry leadership all the time, on Tuesday at 2 o'clock in the afternoon? What does worship look like Monday through Saturday? Or how do we connect in fellowship, accountability, and encouragement throughout the week? How do you learn and grow in your faith? How are you pursuing a greater knowledge of who Jesus is and what he wants us to, to be and to do? How are we serving others as a part of our day-to-day -day life? How do we serve people at home, at work, in our free time? And so the invitation for today is to, to learn the way of Jesus so that we can live it out and share it with others. Because the truth is we can't make disciples of all nations, of all people, if we aren't a disciple ourselves. We can't teach others to live a way that we don't currently live ourselves. So how is Jesus teaching us? How is Jesus forming us? How is Jesus shaping our lives? Worship, connection, Christian fellowship, service of others. Um, I'm gonna ask a few questions here real quick and they're meant to be reflectionary questions. Um, you could almost take an attitude of prayer. I'm gonna read a question and just let it sit quietly for a moment. I want you to think about this um, and then I'll move to the next question, right? So the first question, how did I worship God throughout this past week? How will I worship God in the next six days? And take a moment, reflect on that. How did I worship God throughout this past week? How will I worship God in the next six days? The next question, how did I connect with others in fellowship? 
in encouragement, accountability, or discipleship in the past week? How will I have meaningful connection with others based on my faith during the next seven days? Take a moment to be honest with yourself. In what ways have I connected with others in Christian fellowship? And what is my plan in the next few days to connect with others in fellowship as well? What did I do to intentionally grow in my knowledge or faith in Jesus during the last six days? What will I do in the next six days to be a student of Jesus before we gather together again? And the last question in this reflective time is how did I serve other people in this past week? How can I follow Jesus' example and serve others in the week to come? This is a little bit of a personal inventory. Jesus said, plan ahead, count the cost, know what you're getting into before. And so if, if we look back at the past six days and say, I didn't really do great in this area, well, what's your plan this week to be involved in this? Jesus calls us to know that cost up front. Do we want to be shaped by Jesus? Do we want to be his disciple? Because it will put you at odds with the world in which we live. This world that has no desire to look like Jesus will, will pull at us as we try our best to live more like him. But if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, don't look at this worship, connect, and serve formula as a checklist of things you have to do to be a good, good Christian. It's not, it's not a checklist. Rather, those things together are practices and tools that help form us as students of Jesus. By, by worshiping God, by gathering in Christian fellowship, by serving others, Jesus meets us there and shapes us and forms us to look more like him.